Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. Now, SIPTA representatives in Limerick, they're looking for the new government to keep pre-election promises to reform the early years sector. In the short term, they're calling for the temporary wage subsidy scheme to be continued for the childcare sector. Uh, so to chat about uh, this, uh, we're joined on the line by Yvonne Galvin, outgoing creche manager of Child World Creche in Ballinacurra Weston and uh, soon to be early years manager in the new child and family centre in Galvon. Yvonne McGrath from SIP2 and the Big Start Coordinator for Limerick and Marion Quinn from the Association of Childhood Professionals and you're all very welcome. Uh, good morning uh, to you. I suppose one of the biggest um, worries, Marion Quinn, is uh, this statistic that 33% of creches around the country may not open in the long term at all. Yes, I mean, we're, we're, the department is, is trying to get, um, you know, better, stati- better statistics on that at the moment um, so that they will be able to see exactly how many will open. Um, they have they had a piece of research that was done that kind of signaled that 85% of services intended to open, um, but certainly that number haven't signed up for getting the reopening grants or registering children. So, yeah, so we are worried about that, all right. And do you think that um, decisions have been permanently made in a lot of these or, or are they open to persuasion? I think I think some good majority of them would be open to persuasion um, because if if they can afford to open, um, then obviously they would open. Um, it's not not that the majority of these people had kind of made a decision anyway that they were going to close or that now is the time to move on. Um, it is around sustainability. So um, if they can find that their services are going to be sustainable, um, then I would say that they would be able to be persuaded to stay open. What's your sense, by the way, of the percentage that have um, reopened in Limerick? And I know it's a time of the year where some creches are actually closed anyway in July and August. And what we might get to by, let's say, September. Yeah, I mean, we don't we don't have that yet. I mean, I've talked to services in Limerick, um, you know, who are open and who are operating at an unsustainable level, um, but they just kind of feel that they're going to hold it and, uh, you know, gradually that, you know, parents will have their children coming back into the creches and that then obviously, um, you know, it will become more sustainable for them. Um, but then I've talked to other providers and they said they just could not afford to do that because they've lost so much money between um, March and now um, that they just would not have had the money to pay the overheads and they couldn't carry um, and take for the loans because they just did not know when they'd be able to pay those back. So unfortunately we don't have the statistics yet. I mean the department did send out um, a brief survey to providers uh, last Thursday so it's expected that we will have um, kind of some more solid data this week um, but at the moment we, we're just guessing. Yvonne Galvin, uh, did the Child World crash in Ballinacurra Western open in phase three and if so how have you been getting on? Good morning, Joe. Morning. Um, well, I suppose for us, Joe, um, we never entirely closed. Myself and my team worked throughout the pandemic um, providing family support, providing activity packs to be sent out to children every week and just keeping that relationship going between the service and the families. Um, so to say we entirely closed wouldn't be fact, but we did open uh, in the third phase. Um, we were actually chomping at the bit really to open because we understand the importance of earlier services um, particularly within communities like our own um, so I suppose our staff were more than willing to get stuck in that's not saying it wasn't hard it was um, but it's challenges we've overcome as, as a staff team and a service Are you operating restricted hours or are you back open at your normal hours? 
Um, we're, we paired a half an hour back off each session and that just ensures the level of um, cleaning and everything is done um, and we're at a reduced capacity. Um, now that's down to parental choice and I suppose the time of the year though as well where, you know, preschoolers were due to drop off. Um, but that happened by default. It's not, you know, all related to COVID. And the pandemic, it's just the natural drop-off point of the year. Yvonne, what has reopening been like then? What have been the challenges you've had to overcome? Um, there is challenges, though. I mean, you can't deny that. Um, you know, there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of, you know, the supports are there. Um, I've been really lucky in the sense that um, my team are open to, uh, you know, making this work. Um, and we've done it you know, with a lot of consultation with parents and with staff. So, yes, it has been challenging, but we've overcome it. Right. I mean, you know, the pod system week. now, for example, how is that going? You know, how are the kids themselves uh, reacting to the different circumstances? I suppose the initial drop-off time is difficult for parents and it's difficult for staff. Um, and that's something we communicated well with parents, you know, that they we acknowledge that it's hard, but we as providers have to come up with alternative measures to keep that communication and relationship going. So, you know, it's about that initial drop-off being quick, but it's about a follow-up phone call if there's concerns or there's worries. Um, so we've managed that quite well in the sense that we've nailed the drop-off and collection. For the children... Uh, once they enter into the service, things are pretty much very similar to how it was um, prior to COVID. So, you know, the preschoolers and the babies, you know, no problem. The toddlers struggled, and that's down to their age. Um, so, but I mean, we're a third week now in operation. Um, so, you know, it, we're, we're feeling a sense of the new normal. Right. Um, well, well I, I, I have some sense of uh, dropping off... Um to crash myself, uh, but just for those who aren't at that phase, can you just explain what it is like now, the drop-off and pick-up, Yvonne? So, I suppose usually our ethos and our um, our whole thinking would be, you know, that you bring the parent in and it's partnership with parents and something that I believe very strongly in. That now looks quite different, um, but it's about coming up with alternative measures to ensure that we don't lose that relationship. So the drop-off and collection points are very quick. Um, what does that mean? Just describe practically what happens now when somebody approaches the crash with their child. So I suppose the practitioner would meet the parent at the door. Um, that is quite different because we would inv- always invite the parent in. You know, we'd, we'd be advocates for play and stay for the parents, that they would come in. Um, that is all stopped obviously because we're no longer allowed to have parents in the building so I suppose where where originally we would have had you know the one entrance now we have um, dual drop off so every room has an outdoor entrance um, and the parent comes to that door um, off the playroom and it, it, it is it's very quick it's very the transition of dropping your child off has to be as quick as possible in order to ensure everybody is safe and is it a designated collection time then in the evening? So what we have set up, Joe, is that we've put it on um, two additional playgrounds um, and to ensure that you can come at your leisure, but you're not entering the building. So you can come to your child's playroom um, from an outdoor playground. 
Um, we have, you know, the social distancing masks there in place. You know, we put in, um, you know, like outdoor sound bells and stuff like that. So, you know, we've looked at the procedure and we've tried to make it as easy as possible for both the parents, practitioner and the child. And is it uh, one staff member per pod of children? That's the way it works. Well, you see, what we're what we're trying to ensure right now, and this is where the wage subsidy, um, you know, the retention of that um, is detrimental to the to the sector. We've ensured that we've had, um, you know, the ratio plus one, um, and being allowed to do that with the help of the wage subsidy has been instrumental. Um, so, you know, we have that person that can go and meet that parent or, you know, you have the flexibility within your pod to be self-sufficient. But what are you guys going to do as winter approaches and kids end up with temperatures? Because that's inevitable. They're going to have to be sent home. Then there's testing that will need to be done to make sure it's not COVID-19. Their parents are likely to have to quarantine while that is going on. I mean, the level of disruption that we are facing across the winter is something that I think people don't want to think about because if they do, their heads will explode. No, and, and I, 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 I 100% agree with you, but it's about how you approach it. It's about how you communicate with the parents, how, you know, we have a clear COVID response plan and we have those measures in place and everybody is communicated the same. So everybody knows where the markers are, um, you know, the temperatures, the stuff like that. I mean, you can get a child who is teething who has a temperature, but not necessarily COVID related. So you have to look at it, um, you know, case specific and um, deal with this as a case by case basis. Yeah, but the problem Uh, is that is, you know, that's not the public health advice at the moment. The public health advice at the moment is that if somebody has a temperature, that it has to be treated as a COVID-19 case. I agree. And and that's a measure that has been put in place. But, you know, if you um, if you were to take from uh, our illness policy, let's say, um, we've had to tighten that right up. And it's been communicated to parents that, you know, in order for us to be sustainable, be safe, uh, ensure everybody's safety, that we have to tighten this up. So it's well communicated to parents that if your child has a temperature, the child has to, you know, go home or be collected or seek medical advice. Yeah. We're talking to Yvonne Galvin, who's the outgoing crash manager of Child World Crash in Ballinacara Weston, and they have uh, reopened. Yvonne McGrath from SIP2 and the Big Star Coordinator for Limerick and Marion Quinn from the Association of Childhood Professionals. Yvonne, I mean, from the staff's point of view, this is incredibly tricky for them. You know, I can only imagine that it wasn't easy to bring kids back and almost start them all uh, together again. I'm sure there were a lot of tears um, rather than managing maybe a couple of new entrants at a time. And now they're wondering, well, what's the future going to look like, Yvonne McGrath? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought you were still talking to Yvonne. There are two Yvonnes. There are two Yvonnes, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, I mean, obviously there has been great concern among the staff um, returning. And I suppose, you know, initially would be in relation to how is all this going to work and also the introduction of the pod system um, because social distancing doesn't work with children. So um, another um, method has been developed and it's in compliance with um, the infection control disease recommendations. Um, But staff, you know, I suppose they have been 
they've been returning and I think, you know, depending on how each service is approaching it. Um, and the feedback is, you know, generally that um, the measures are being put in place to protect children, parents um, and staff. Um, and it's just about working through the return to work um, protocol and um, also um, having the COVID-19 worker representative, which is really giving a voice to the workers on the floor um, about any concerns that they may have um, in, you know, how they go about um, their, their, their role, um, if there's any, you know, implications to do with COVID-19 and that, and that they're addressed. And that's a very powerful tool that um, every worker has been given um, that they then are able to have the say within their service of how COVID-19, you know, is being managed and if they have mm. concerns that they can be addressed. But when do you think that the government will face up to this reality that the sector is going to require, frankly, a lot of money being pumped in by the state on an ongoing basis in order to make this feasible? Well, I think, you know, the signs are positive um, very much from when um, we had the very large protest in, in Dublin in February where 30,000 um, childcare professionals and parents and children took to the streets. Um, and I think that caught a lot of the politicians um, by surprise um, because although... We have been um, highlighting, you know, the importance um, of the sector. Um, I think in some cases that is deemed, oh, well, you know, if, you know because predominantly um, females working in the sector, 98%, um, that, you know, it wasn't, it's not necessarily being taken as seriously um, as it should be and the importance with it. But so much so, like in the Oireachtas COVID um, hearings there in in the middle of June, there was unanimous support um, for the extension of the wage subsidy scheme from both the politicians and the representative groups, which gives a very clear kind of understanding the importance of the, sustaining the sector. But what they also called for um, was a, re, um, a revised model because, you know, the current childcare model is not working. It's not working in terms of affordability for parents. It's not working in relation to having professional pay um, for the professionals working in the sector because that's exactly what they are. They're professionals. They have their qualifications, their degrees, their masters. And they have um, very responsible roles. Um, and the continued professional development is constant and ongoing. And even during COVID-19, um, every service participated in continued professional development. So why yeah. are they were, you know, constantly updated? So I think, you know, but we have to push on because right. in the programme for government, um, there is provision there in relation to, um, you know, they want quality service and, and they've talked about um, having a joint Labour committee. Um, but I suppose what we're pushing for is the new minister actually takes this by the horns and delivers on yeah, it. Yeah, and, that's, and that, that is the, the ultimate point. And I suppose Marion Quinn from the Association of Childhood Professionals, my sense of this is that uh, across the educational sector, um, from early years right through to primary 
uh, to secondary and even we saw with the University of Limerick last week um, uh, at third level, um, we are going to have real problems from September onwards. This is going to be possibly a quite a chaotic situation across the entire education sector, including early years. Into the winter, we haven't faced COVID-19 across winter yet because it emerged in late February and March. It's going to be very complicated and it will have an impact on parents listening this morning as well as, of course, children. Absolutely. I mean, when, when we look at what's going to happen as we're coming into winter, we know, um, you know, the, some of the symptoms of, say, flu or, you know, the, I mean, the, the, the coughs and all the rest of it that children get um, throughout the winter. Um, there's going to be loads of absences, you know. I mean, without a doubt, uh, as people as display symptoms, they're going to be asked to, you know, to contact a doctor and to have to stay at home, you know, to kind of self-isolate and all the rest of it. Um, I suppose where where the other levels of education are going to be somewhat protected in terms of that the, that the schools and colleges receive capitation for the number of students um, that they have in, that, that capitation will remain constant um, despite the absences. Um, but when you're looking at what's happening in early years, um, there are attendance rules and attendance is tied to the level of funding that the department will, will give to services. Um, but also you've got to take that um, parents are paying fees on, you know, for, um, for the full daycare. And, you know, if parents are repeatedly going to be having to have their children out, um, you know, for two week periods of time, because it won't be just a once off, you know, that they might have to display a symptom. Um, then the parents certainly aren't going to be able to afford um, to be continuously paying for a service that they're not using. Um, and they have to find alternatives so that they can go to work. So whether somebody caring for the child in the home. So without a doubt, this is going to require a significant amount of investment. And I suppose what the department kind of keeps looking at in terms of, well, can they be giving um, subsidies and supports over and above? Because these are private businesses in the main is what they're looking at. Whereas we'd be looking at it as, as as the first stage of an education system and we're looking for you know what is in place for the other levels and they will have d- difficulties themselves but at least they'll have a constant level of funding coming into the to the schools and into those mm-hmm. services um, the temporary wage subsidy scheme has been absolutely a saviour for many um, ser- services because you know in terms of being able to retain their staff we're finding huge difficulties at the moment with it so while we want a wage subsidy scheme to be in place it needs to be a significantly revised wage subsidy scheme because we've got staff who are working now and because of the average weekly revenue figure and they can only get paid up to that amount oh, listen, through the wage subsidy scheme so compl- they're on lesser wages. It's a very complicated scheme <coughs> it it's a very complicated scheme across all industry not just um, for uh, the childcare sector. I have to say I mean we are experiencing this at home at the moment um, because our fellas back at crash um, mm. and our heads are melted already yeah. and I'm serious and this is the summer um, yeah. You know, this is where you're not as worried about the bugs and the temperatures, and this is where a huge effort is being made by um, the crash involved. Um, I and it really does concern me that um, people who maybe aren't directly experiencing it right now have no idea how challenging it is and is going to be. And perhaps that includes some people who are in the decision-making process at government um, uh, level. And really, something needs uh, to be put in place. ASAP, otherwise from September onwards, it's not going to be fun. Thank you very much for talking to us this morning. Marion Quinn from the Association of Childhood Professionals, who's based in Limerick, of course. Yvonne McGrath from SIP2 and the Big Star Coordinator for Limerick and the outgoing crash manager of Child World Crash in Ballinacurra Weston, Yvonne Galvin. 
Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95.